Our Good Friday service coming up, it's the Friday before Easter, I'm sure you know, but this will kind of mark the two-year anniversary of sort of the launch of Outlet. We kind of launched this, I guess, two years ago, so this will be like the uh, third annual Good Friday service, but we don't do a lot of events around here, especially Outlet, uh, pr- approximately zero, except for one. We just do one, and it's Good Friday, so we really work hard to make uh, Good Friday special, so it's a great time. We'd love to have you guys there. We'd love to have you bring somebody um, special, but it's Friday night, uh, 6.45 to about 8 o'clock, but um, we really think it's going to be a super cool time, and so we wanted to let you know that we are not going to be having Outlet on Easter Sunday. It's moved uh, to Friday, but if you want a place to come to church on Sunday morning, of course, we're happy to have you uh, 9 and 11 in our main sanctuary for our Easter service, but we're not having Outlet on Easter. We've moved it to Good Friday, so please make every effort um, to be there. Thanks so much. Uh, we also wanted to let you know, this is my, I'm going to take a break after this week, I promise. This is the last time, but I know uh, there's been some people out. But we wanted to let you know that we've been working towards getting childcare set for Outlet. And so we need like 10 people, 10 people who would be willing to give us one service per month here at Outlet to watch the kids. And so it would only be once per month, but it would be um, you know like two or three people scheduled per week. So we would just love for you guys to prayerfully consider... Um, being a part of that. If you are open to that possibility, uh, you can talk to me. You can talk to our nursery director, Gail. She's the lovely lady over with the large hair. Um, talk to either of us. We'll get you background checked. Um, but really, thanks so much for being a part of that. We think uh, we don't just want to do it for no reason. And I love how simple Outlet has been and continues to be. But really, we think that there's a few things that we could kind of add that would be meaningful um, going forward. And so we think out, uh, Outlet childcare is going to be um, something that's going to enable more people to come. So thanks so much for being willing to do that if you are. Um, and uh, that's it. So we are in the book of Matthew. Uh, I told you as we begun this year, I was just feeling like I was sick of my own ideas um, and, you know, coming up with a sermon every week can be really exhausting. And so I was just, I was just feeling like um, sometimes, has anyone ever found themselves at the time where it's like they don't have a lot to say sometimes? It's like, I don't know what I want to say. And so I just wanted to spend these first four months of the year just letting Jesus set the agenda. So we've been just going through um, the book of Matthew. And so each month we've been on seven chapters. January, we're in one through seven. February 8th through 14. This is so hard. March 15th through 21. And then April, we will be uh, 22 to 28. And I've been encouraging you guys to read those chapters during those months as much as you are able to. So I want to let you know that this is the last Sunday of March, right? Okay, so you can go ahead and go to the final seven chapters of the book of Matthew. But I'm really excited about the message tonight. My title is The Last Messenger. And we are in Matthew chapter 21, verse 31 through 39. I'm just going to read it for you. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there. And if not, the words are on the screen. Uh, Verse 31, then Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show, the, uh, show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Uh, listen to another parable. Now, Jesus tells a parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. 
When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit, like his, his rent, basically. Uh, the tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants uh, treated them the same way. Verse 37, last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. Verse 38, but when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Okay, so it's just a nice feel-good uh, parable about murder and greed, um, but it's a, really, it's a really cool time in the Bible uh, and the story of Jesus. Jesus has begun to talk frequently. Every page from here on out, you'll see Jesus talking about his own death. And occasionally, what, one thing that Jesus does, which is really cool, uh, is he begins his sentences with the word amen, which is kind of funny and weird. Amen. It's both a Hebrew and a Greek word. And when they came to translate the Bible into English, they kind of balked and they sort of struggled um, with how to translate it. The King James will translate it like this, verily I say unto you. Guys, can you picture Jesus saying that? Or verily, verily, I say unto you. The NIV translate the, translates the word amen to truly I tell you. Um, and there's no English word that really conveys the seriousness. Modern day, when we just say amen, we just mean I like that. You know what I mean? So it's like... Hey, I brought some pizza. Amen. Amen to that. It just means that is good, I think. Um, <laughs> or even in service, it's like, now we'll watch video announcements. Amen. It's like, why, why, amen. why are you amening the video? Who cares? Um, but in the, in the scripture, uh, the word amen basically means that it, it means this. This is God's truth. This is God's truth, or, or maybe you could say it like this. What I'm about to say is critically important. So stop everything, listen to this, understand this. You can't live without what I'm about to tell you. And so Jesus in Matthew 21, he comes and he says the word amen, or maybe he says it like this. I tell you the truth. And then he makes an unbelievably strange um, statement. And it's this statement. I've got it on uh, the screen. It's this. Truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you, which is a provocative thing to say. And of course, it begs the question, like, who is he talking to here? Um, and so to really understand who he's talking to and what's happening here, um, you have to understand, to understand the statement, you have to be able to understand the parable. So what we're wanting to do is understand the parable, and then this statement will become clear. The basic plot of the parable that we just read was this. There was um, a, a landowner, and he goes and he plants a vineyard. And he goes and he takes care, he just decks the vineyard out. He makes it really great. He builds a tower. He builds a wall around it, like a watchtower to, build, to watch for predators. Um, he builds a wine press so they can make wine out of the grapes that would be harvested there. there. And then he rents it out to these um, tenants. And then he goes and lives in another place. And so the agreement would be this, that he would get to come and occasionally come harvest time, he would get to come and collect his rent in the form of fruit, well, harvest time comes, and so he goes and he sends his servants to go and collect uh, the fruit. But instead of these guys just giving the fruit, um, they kill the servants, uh, they stone the servants, or they just beat up the servants. 
And so, um, so it's crazy. And he, when he hears about this, he's, he's distressed. And so he sends more servants, even more numerous than the previous time. And they do the same thing. They beat them up, they murder them, or they stone them. And so uh, the landowners, he's not sure what to do. So what he ends up doing is he says, I know what I'll do. They will respect my son. And so he goes and he sends his son. And then when they see the son, um, they kill the son too. And that's the end of the parable. That's the end of the very strange um, story. And so this is not one of the parables in the teachings of Jesus that really has like this great lengthy explanation where he makes it all super clear, like exactly who is doing what and what's happening here. But if you understand the context of what's happening in this point in, in the life of Jesus, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty hard to misunderstand it. It's pretty clear what's happening. Uh, so that's what I want to do tonight. Uh, just We're just doing a Bible study, but we're going to talk about what the parable is talking about, and then maybe how it applies to us, maybe what the parable means uh, for us. So I have four points that I'm hoping is going to bring some clarity uh, to the parable super fast, and it's uh, this. Number one is this. The tenant farmers represent entitled people. The tenant farmers represent entitled people. And really, the parable is pointing to like this fundamental human problem, which is this. Instead of people giving to God what is owed to him, they literally always kill the messenger. They always do. And what's amazing about this point in history is that if you could avoid paying rent for three years, then the land was yours. That was the rule. And you might be thinking, well, that's a bad rule. That encourages blah, blah. That's another point. It probably is a bad rule. But that was the rule, that like if you could, for three years, you were running the show and there was no outside interference, you get the rights to the land. And so uh, what's happening here is these tenant farmers, they were just tenants. They were just renting, but they wanted to be the owners. They wanted to be the owners of this incredible new uh, vineyard. And they attacked anyone that came to remind them that they weren't owners, they were just tenants. They didn't care. They didn't care that this, uh, that this guy had like busted his butt to make this place all killer, you know, like built a wall, built a watchtower, built a wine press. They didn't care about any of that stuff. They just wanted to be the people who owned it. And so that's why they were attacking everyone who were coming to remind them that they were not the owners of this land. And number two is this. This is uh, an important point for us, I believe, is this. The vineyard represents the life you live and didn't earn the vineyard represents the life you live and didn't earn. Vineyards in the Bible are very interesting. Uh, we, we read a lot about vineyards. One time, specifically, a verse that I really like, specifically, God is talking to um, Israel. He has taken them out of the land of Egypt, and he's about to take them into the promised land, you know, you know that this is happening. So he has done all of this. He's been faithful. He's done the delivering. He's brought them to this place. He's set them up for success. The Israelites have done nothing. They're the worst. They just complain and they just cry and they grumble. Um, and, you know, food comes and they hate the food and they want different food. They're the worst, literally the worst. And so they're, so they're not doing anything. God has done all of this and he speaks to them, and he, he speaks to them about a vineyard. Check this out. Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, verse 10 and 13. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. Wells 
you did not dig. And vineyards and olive groves, you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. The point is this, especially for us today, we tend to find ourselves, especially when we've been living a blessed like American 2017 life for a really long time, we tend to forget that everything that we have is a gift. And so, so, so we start taking credit for all of the things that we have. Like, and we just forget the fact that like, we didn't make any of this. You know what I'm saying? I even think of like Outlet. This is a pretty, by a lot of standards, this is a pretty like modest ministry. You know, we've been doing this for two years and it's, it's but if I'm being per- perfectly honest, this is like something that means a lot to me. Um, and I know that it means a lot to a lot of people. But I also know this, that I didn't build this. Like this is not, so none of us, none of the leaders come in to this room and saying like, I, we built this and I deserve, like I deserve to be, like none of us have that posture because none of us built this. You know what I mean? We're tenants. We're not owners. Like this is not our thing. We're, he, we're just renting. You know what I mean? We're just renting this thing. It's God's um, thing. And you can see that like this bleeds into almost every area of life, especially the Christian life. A pastor friend of mine, he talks about, he tells this story of this woman who came to him and he was like a big grace preacher talking about grace, being saved by grace. And she said, she said, the whole idea about being saved, like salvation through grace is really unsettling to me. She said, I don't really, I don't like it in so many different ways. I prefer the way that I used to understand it, which was just like, if you do good things, God does good things and bad things happen to bad people. It, that was kind of easier for me because I felt like I was in control a little bit. But now, now that I, now that it's just like God just gives us gifts, it's, it's hard for me because I feel like I'm always going to be in his debt. Like no matter what, at any given time, he, he'll just be able to come and like demand something of me. He says, I, I liked it the way that it was before because at least it was fair. And so I was free. And it's kind of an interesting thing, but the truth is this, that like that we're all tenants when it comes to our lives, when it comes to our churches, when it comes to our marriages, when it comes to our relationships, when it comes to our jobs, houses, cars, like we're all tenants. We all want to think and we all want to pretend that we're owners and that like we did this ourselves, but like we didn't. And the reason that we want that is because owners get to do whatever they want. You know what I mean? Like, if you've built this business with your own sweat and blood, like, then you can do whatever you want. And people want to live their life like that. That it's like, I am my own guy, and then I'm free. So here's an interesting question um, for you tonight, and here's the question. Why are you where you are? Why are you where you are? So a lot of people will want to answer that question like this. Well, I worked hard for it. I worked hard for where, uh, for where I am. Of course, like, they, they forget, like, well, what if you were born on an ice float in the Arctic Ocean, like in the 12th century? It doesn't matter how hard you would work, you would not have gotten very far. You know what I mean? Like, they forget all of the things that were even required, you know, to even make it possible for you to succeed. And the truth is that, like, all of the hard work, all of the street smarts that we could, like, put into the world... It just plays a tiny part of like who you are and the life that you live. I think a lot more than your hard work was just stuff that you were born with and you had nothing to do with it. 
You know what I mean? Like we like to think that, like I'm a self-made man. Like, like tell that to the people in Cambodia where 83% of them like don't have clean water. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you drink, like I drink my Aquafina and there's, there's like nothing I did to earn that. That's just no, next time you drink some clean, clean, safe water, like you're having an experience that millions of people in the world will never have. And that's not to make you feel bad about any of it, but it's simply making the point, and here's the point, like you had nothing to do with a lot of what you have. You know what I'm saying? You didn't do it. And you, you, um, you were born into something beautiful. And not to feel bad, but we don't deceive ourselves and think that like, Everything that we have, we somehow earned. Just like the Israelites, uh, we were born into a lot. And just like the tenants in our parable, um, you were given something that you didn't work for. You just were. If you are alive in 2017 in Albuquerque, New Mexico, the United States of America, you were given a lot of things uh, that you didn't uh, work for. But the human heart, I know that this is bad. This is super intense because the human heart doesn't like that. We don't like the feeling of like we've been given something. We like to like, uh, you know, it was me and I did it. Um, and truthfully, even when it comes to God, like we don't like it because, because the truth is this, like if we're created by God, then we owe him everything. You know, like, like everything that we are we owe to him because he made us. Like, we hate that idea. Or, or like, everything is a gift, so I don't get to just live however I feel like it. Like, we don't like that idea. It's better, it's better to just feel like I'm totally um, free. But at the end of the day, you have to choose. Uh, Soren, Soren uh, Kierkegaard, he's a weird Danish philosopher, theologian, poet, guy. He wrote this book uh, in the 1840s called Either Slash Or either or. Uh, and in the book, basically, has anyone read that book? The answer is, ah, yeah, I bet. Okay, we got like a few people, brilliant people in the room. Um, basically, he presents these two, uh, these two parallel life views, and they're kind of like running alongside, and it's either or. So the first life view is this, I'm not created, so I'm free. So I, I, I'm just like an accidental happening in the world that, you know, I'm just like, this is just like cosmic stardust things that happened. Um, and so because of that, I'm free. But I'm also uh, meaningless. And you can't have one without the other. That if you are free because you're not created, then you mean nothing. This is the dilemma, of course, of atheism which is this, it's great to be free, but it's hard to be meaningless. Because, because if everything is an accident and there's no one who's watching out, then you have no more worth than any other stardust who happened to find its way into, let's say, a rock. And you're completely free, but you're completely uh, meaningless. By the way, if you want like 1,200 pages of this, you can read Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand depress you. Atlas Shrugged. Don't worry. <laughs> Forget I mentioned it. Uh, so that was what, that's kind of like one worldview um, that's in the book. The other one in either or is this. I'm created, and so I have purpose, and I have meaning, but I'm not free. I'm, I have purpose, and I have meaning, 
But because I have purpose and I have meaning, I was created, and so I'm not free. In fact, not only am I not free, I have responsibility. I have responsibility to other people, and I have responsibility towards my creator because life is a gift. I'm not the owner, not even of my own life. I'm a tenant. I'm not an owner. This is ultimately the Christian worldview. And you can't have both. You can't, you can't have ultimate freedom and no responsibility in the world and also have meaning. You have to have one or the other. That's why this idea, the idea of entitlement is completely antithetical to the Christian life. It's completely opposite of the Christian life uh, because as Christians, we're always coming back to this place of life is a gift and I'm not entitled to any of this. And, it, and it's beautiful and it has meaning and in it, I have a responsibility. And I, I, never, I never find my way to this place of feeling like I am owed anything because it's all a gift. Brendan Manning, uh, whom I loved, you know, we did a big old long series on him. Uh, he says, uh, he's kind of like um, priest turned alcoholic turned author. He's like an amazing guy. He says this, um, while there is much we have earned, our degree, our salary, our home and garden, a Miller light and a good night's sleep, all this is possible only because we have been given so much. Life itself, eyes to see and hands to touch, a mind to shape ideas and a heart to beat with love. We have been given God in our souls and Christ in our flesh. And so entitlement really, entitlement I think shows itself two ways and they seem like they're opposite, but really in a lot of ways, they're kind of the same thing. So number one is this, it's the, uh, it's the Atlas Shrugged way, which is this, I'm a self-made man and so I do whatever I want and I have no responsibility towards God or my creator. Then there's the other side, which it would appear is exact opposite, but it's really the same thing and it's this, I'm so much better than everybody else, so God owes me. But in both cases, it's uh, entitlement. And so Jesus comes and he says this, that it's just so amazing. He says, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the entitled tenants, people who don't even know that they need a savior. And he's saying the people, at least these people know that they need help. But people who come into the world entitled They don't even understand that they have a desperate need uh, for a savior. So number two, God, what was it? I I said it a million years ago. The vineyard represents the life you live and didn't earn. Number three is this. The messengers represent represent people and situations that remind you of your need for God. The messengers represent people and situations that remind you of your need for God. Remember all of the messengers that they come and kill? In Jesus's culture, of course, you know who was reminding people of their need for God? The Old Testament prophets. And so what did we do to those guys? Well, rejected them and sometimes killed them. Uh, and, and I think in, um, what, in the parable, like what did the entitled people do to the messengers? Killed them. They beat them up, killed them, and stoned them. Beat up the first, killed the second, stoned the third. So the messengers represent people in situations that remind you of your need for God. Number uh, four, it's the last point, and then we'll get on to a little bit of application. It's this, the final messenger, who was the son, represents Jesus. Don't tell me you didn't see that coming. So after the messengers uh, have been beaten and killed, the the uh, master decides something really strange, 
which is this, he decides to send his own son. This is at the point where the parable begins to get like a little bit ridiculous uh, because no one would do this. Does anyone, did anyone like hear that? And it's like, that sounds like a bad idea. Master, why did he send his own son? Like the owner says, well, they've beat up and murdered all of my servants up to this point. Like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my own son. No one would do this. It's a crazy uh, idea. It doesn't make any sense. What he should have done, of course, was called the authorities, right? Has the law on his side. He's the actual owner. Uh, what, that's what he should have done. Or, I don't know, like hired a group of thugs to go and take them out or something. But like what you shouldn't do is send your only defenseless, poor, precious son over there. Um, so here's where it kind of, it seems like the parables of Jesus have like a twist ending a lot of the time, and this is the twist ending here, because that's all working on the assumption that what the master is after is his fruit and his property. But God is not a businessman who is mostly concerned with his stuff. That like wasn't what this man uh, was after. Instead, the master says, this is exactly how he says it, I'll send my son, surely they will respect him. And so he's not concerned, this master is not concerned with fruit. He had easy ways to get the fruit. The fruit was no problem. Uh, He was still holding out hope for relationship. He was hoping that they would find their way to respect. In other words, and this tells us a lot about God the Father. In other words, God the Father is after um, relationship. He's not a businessman after his property. God is a father after relationship, not a businessman after his property. Uh, And the master comes and says this, I'm willing to come and make my son vulnerable. I'm willing to make myself vulnerable in hopes that we can find our way to reconciliation. Uh, I'm not just trying to wipe out the entitled people. Um, I'm hoping that my son will show them the way of humility, which of course we didn't hear. And of course, in the case of Jesus, we didn't hear. But hopefully we can hear now that we look at Jesus and Jesus is not only savior, he's also example. Not only, not only does he save us, he also shows us uh, how to live. So we, we look to the cross and because he's so beautifully humble, he comes and we lay our entitlement down. So, uh, okay, so here we go. What's the solution? What would you say is the solution um, to all of this? Well, Jesus actually says it. We read it um, in verse 32. It's, uh, it's this word. Are you ready? Repentance. The solution is repentance. Repentance just means uh, to turn around, to change your mind. It can mean a lot of other things in a lot of other contexts, but really properly understood, it means to turn around or to change your mind. And of course, prostitutes and tax collectors need to repent. You know what I mean? Neither are um, good career paths. You know what I mean? Like, you, y'all know what a prostitute is, right? We don't have to go over that one. So that's what that one is. That's easy. Tax collector, tax collector is a little bit different. Tax collector is the ultimate political sellout. If you are the type of person um, that your blood boils when you see a corrupt politician, he threw tax collector in there for you. Uh, because these guys, these guys betrayed their race, they betrayed their religion, they betrayed their culture, ultimately to work for a corrupt and violent government. And not only, they would steal above and beyond what the wicked and corrupt government would want. 
and they would steal from the exceptionally poor so that they could be exceptionally rich. And so these are not great people. You know what I mean? It's kind of cute because you think Zacchaeus and he's short and he's in a tree. Like, it's not that great. The tax collectors are not lovely. Um, so, so, but it's amazing that Jesus comes and says this. So you've got tax collectors on one side, you've got prostitutes on the other. And he says this, look, you're even worse. You're like, you entitled people, you're even worse than those guys because you have completely forgotten that you need a savior. Like you don't even know, you don't even know that you need that. You're just going around thinking like, oh, I lived a pretty good life. I'm not a tax collector. I'm not a prostitute. I've lived a pretty good life, you know what I mean? And it's like, I don't even know what I would ask for forgiveness for, really, you know? And Jesus is saying this, like, you're more of the problem than they are. Because, because you haven't even addressed um, the sin underneath all sin, which is this, I'm my own. I am my own. I'm ultimately free, which is, of course, the sin underneath all of the sin, which is not submission to him. The sin, the sin underneath all other sin is the avoidance of grace. Not feeling like you need um, grace. And so repentance is what we do. Um, so, so how can we tell that we've done that? You could say it like this. How, how can we tell if we've begun to leave the land of entitlement um, to live in the land of grace. I've got two things for you really briefly. If you've begun to leave the land of entitlement to live in the land of grace, number one is this, you will be kind and merciful. Uh, Kind and merciful towards prostitutes and kind and merciful towards tax collectors. And in fact, I love this grouping. I love the grouping of tax collectors and prostitutes because I think depending on how you see the world, one will be no problem and the other will be a huge problem. You know, because it's like some, some people, let's say the more liberally minded people in the room, you likely have literally no issue with the sexually immoral. You just feel, not that you would live it, I'm just saying you feel compassion. You're compassionate, you're not struggling there. That's not hard for you. But then when you think about like corrupt politicians, all of a sudden you're like, or like, you know, greedy business people, you know what I mean? Those are all like summed up in the idea of the tax collector. Well, maybe you're on the other side. Maybe you're on a more conservative side. Maybe you would see it a little bit different. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, maybe some would see it like opposite that. But the point is that he like takes them both and he offers kindness and forgiveness to both. So I just think when he includes both of these people, he's, he's including whoever it is that bugs you. You know what I mean? Like, like who is it? Who is that for you? Who makes your, whose sin makes your blood boil? You know what I'm saying? Can you think of, can you not think of anybody? Yes. No, nobody. Yeah, this is somebody. Um, I thought of a couple. Homeless man on the street, uh, unfaithful spouse, a corrupt politician, convicted felon, someone of another religion, someone of another sexual orientation, I don't know, whatever it is um, for you. Well, the entitled people will find their way to becoming all hot and bothered and, you know, saying, like, you don't understand. They're, the, they're pure evil. And the reason is this, like, it's because you don't know what a miracle you are. You don't realize what a scandal it is that you're here. <laughs> and it's like a, a person who has left the land of entitlement 
and found themselves living in the land of grace can find themselves with a pure heart, even towards people that really rub them the wrong way. Because we're all working, because we constantly are in this place where we don't feel like we're not entitled. I'm, you know, it's like you're entitled to your own opinion, but you're not entitled to like much more than that. Not in the Christian faith that everything that we have is a gift. All is grace. First Timothy 1.15, Paul says this, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I love that he says that. And, and he prefaces it by this. He's like, hey, this is a trustworthy saying that, that Paul says I, I should fully accept. And I think in the same way, if Paul should fully accept it, you should fully accept this, that Christ came to save sinners. And who's the worst? you're the worst. Who's the worst? You're the worst. And, uh, and it kind of like changes. Uh, it, it begins to uh, modify the way that you see the world. And you end up being kind and merciful, even to the people who make your blood boil, because you understand that you're in the same category as them. Number two is this. You, uh, if you have left the land of entitlement to live in the land of grace, you will feel security and rest in your Christianity. Deuteronomy 7, verse 7 uh, says this, the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out from the power of Pharaoh. So this is what we in the business call circular reasoning. I don't know if you picked up on that, but it says this, God loved you because he loved you which is a weird thing to say. It like, doesn't seem like that makes a lot of uh, sense. It might sound weird, but really, I bet you know that that's the only chance you have. You know what I mean? Like he loves us simply because he loves us. He says like, he didn't love you because you were more numerous. He loved you because he loved you. That's in, that's in the Bible. And I think, I think we understand that there's something beautiful about unconditional love that's not tied to something that you do. Imagine with me, let's pretend that you have recently got married, and I'm not recommending any of this, but let's say recently you got married and your spouse has come to you and they've asked this question, why do you love me? Well, let's just pretend you're not intelligent. And you say, you say, because you clean the house so good. <laughs> or or, or uh, because you make so much money. Like that, do you think they would be like, ah, that's sweet, it's cool? No, they would not. Um, in fact, in fact, any answer to that question is tremendous pressure, because like if you mess up, if that thing goes away, then so does the love. You know what I mean? I love you because you're such a great parent. Well, okay. Well, what happens when your kids grow up? And you know what I mean? Then what do you have? Or like, I, I, I love you because you have such an amazing prayer life. Well, it's like, what if I go through a dry season and stop praying for a couple of years? Like, what, are you going to leave? You know, you stop. My, the only acceptable answer to that question is this. I just love you. There, there could be a million things that I love about you. I love this and I love this and I love this about you, but none of those are why I love you. Because if you love someone because of this and this and this and this, the second those go away, well, so does the love. And so I just want you to know that it says it in Deuteronomy, God doesn't love you because you're lovely. And that's good news. He doesn't love you because you're lovely. He loves you because he is love. 
That's just what he is. And so you learn to grow and you learn to relax in that. And so you find yourself able to rest in the security of God's love. And you're not scared that like you're going to screw up and you're going to like lose something here. That like something's going to be broken if you backslide or you, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, you just don't have to, you don't have to live your life afraid that, that your relationship with God is so fragile, that, that he loves you because you pray and he loves you because you read the Bible. Like he doesn't love you because of any of those things. Maybe he loves that about you, but he just loves you. And so you, so you find yourself in this place of peace and rest when you realize that you, don't, you didn't earn the love of God. And in a way that seems like, oh, that's hard. That's hard. No, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. You didn't earn it. That's great. You can't lose it because you didn't earn it. Um, and so you can just find yourself in a place where n- n- number one uh, was this, you'll be kind and merciful to other people because you realize that they're in the same category as you are. And number two is this, you'll feel security and rest in your relationship with God because you didn't earn it. And in the same way, you can't lose it. So we're going to prepare for communion uh, as we always do. My encouragement to you um, tonight in our final moments is this, it's just no matter who you are, no matter if you feel like you're so deserving to be here, like I'm so great at the Christian thing, I'm so good if that's you, or if you feel like I am so bad at all of this. And like I, I am, um, Brennan Manning says it like this, my cheese is always falling off my cracker. Like always, there's always, it's like I can't, can't even hold it together. I don't know what I'm doing. I, I just want to encourage you um, this, that it's like, he, want, he says this to you, come all the same. You know what I mean? Just come all the same. Like no matter where you are, no matter where you fall, in any of this, you know, and you just think like, I didn't deserve any of this. And you just say, praise the Lord. That's great. Because Jesus says, come all the same. I don't deserve him, but I need him. And he's there for you. And I know I tell you this a lot, but listen, I really believe it. Life tastes sweeter when you remember that you didn't earn it. Like ice cream tastes better when you realize you didn't earn any of this. That like everything about this life, there's just something profoundly beautiful. And you can enjoy your relationships and you can enjoy simple pleasures and you just remember that it's like, I, um, I'm a tenant, I'm not an owner. And everything that's so beautiful in my life, it's not because I'm so great and I got it all figured out. No, it's just a gift from him. There's something beautiful there. And so I just come and I just rest like a little child, just so simple, not, not self-aware all the time, not feeling inadequate. No, just just in a simple trust uh, of the Lord. And so as they pass communion, and we'll take communion together, so just hold on to the elements. I would like you to just spend a minute, if you would, um, as they pass, just spend a minute thinking about maybe the gift of life. And like what, um, what it means for you to be here. Uh, you didn't earn any of this. You didn't deserve any of this. It's all just a beautiful gift. And so just find your way, if you can, in these quiet moments, just find your way back to gratitude. To just saying, man, it's not because I'm so brilliant, um, but you're just so great. And my life, despite all of its imperfections and all of its suffering and all of its hardship and all of its pain, is deeply beautiful. And I'm so grateful. So just find, your, find yourself, if you can, back to the place of gratitude.
and then we'll receive communion together. As we receive communion tonight, I wonder if you uh, might be willing to recite the Apostles' Creed with me. This is something that, that means a lot to Christianity as a whole. Uh, it's been kind of a, um, a lighthouse in a blurry world for us century after century after century after century. I find it beautiful. So it's three slides. I wonder if you would be willing to read the words with me. Let's do it. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, we come before you tonight, Lord, and we're just so grateful. It's so easy, especially in the world that we live, to begin to think that, that this 
life is just something that we deserve instead of a beautiful gift that it really is from you. So help all of our hearts to continually cling to this idea that life is a precious gift. And, and we're just tenants. We're not owners, we're tenants. And so we have a responsibility to you to live a life that's honoring of you and to always recognize every single day for what it truly is, which is something that's really magical and something that's really beautiful. And if we have eyes to see, we know that we can see you every second of every day and other people in your beautiful creation. And so help us to come alive to that, like open our eyes to see the beauty and the goodness of the world, despite the heartache, despite the pain, Help us to find the beauty. There's nothing impressive about finding bad things. Help us to find the beauty. Help us to see the opportunity, the healing that you offer us every moment of every day. Just can we say thank you and we love you. And tonight, Lord Jesus, we remember your death and we proclaim your resurrection and we await your return. We remember your death. We proclaim your resurrection.